Sorry, it's me, not Sophia. Um, that's Ruth 3 on page 269 of the Church Bibles, on the screens or on your service sheets. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he said. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There are two problematic extremes that any of us might go to when approaching God. On the one hand, we could be overconfident and maybe even overfamiliar with God Almighty. God will obviously want me. God maybe even needs me on his side. And that's the attitude perhaps that leads people to the attitude of, I'll just do a deathbed repentance. I'll leave it to that stage and God will welcome me with open arms when I knock on the gate of heaven and say, I've turned up, it's me, I've arrived, well, let me in. And then perhaps on the other hand, 
the extreme of fearfulness, timidity, and despair. God wouldn't possibly want me. God doesn't care. Even if God is there, he wouldn't think of me. I couldn't possibly go to church. And if I did, I'd certainly stay very near the back. Well, both of those extreme attitudes, overconfidence and fearfulness, are corrected and addressed in today's passage of Ruth, as Ruth models to us both boldness and also humility in approaching a redeemer. We started off our look through the book of Ruth a couple of weeks ago in chapter one in Moab, Ruth's homeland, as she was faced with the choice whether to go with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel, where Naomi was from, or to stay in Moab with potentially better life options ahead of her there. We continued last week in chapter 2, where the setting was a field in Bethlehem, and Ruth found the reward uh, that she didn't quite expect in Israel as she found favour from Boaz, who turned out to be a kinsman redeemer of hers, of her family, as Naomi commented at the end of that chapter. And now we find ourselves, chapter 3, another setting uh, for the main drama of this chapter on the threshing floor, uh, the harvest having been gathered in from the fields and a proposal being made, not by Boaz to Ruth, but by Ruth to Boaz. And it all starts with a scheme of the mother-in-law. How many of us will be entertaining scheming mothers-in-law over Christmas, I wonder? Well, Good things could come out of it, who knows. Ruth and uh, Naomi have been in Israel now for a few months. Uh, As I say, the wheat and barley harvests have been gathered in from the fields around Bethlehem. And winter is around the corner. Naomi's mind, therefore, is beginning to turn to provision once again for her daughter-in-law. How do I ensure this daughter-in-law of mine is looked after in the future, maybe the near future, when I may be gone. And hence, verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And the obvious candidates in this world where provision for a daughter-in-law was by marriage to a reasonably settled, happy, prosperous man, the obvious candidates for the solution to Ruth's happiness in the future has appeared the man who has shown her kindness uh, in the fields during harvest, Boaz. And so verse 2, Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. That's who's very much on Naomi's mind at this stage. We mentioned last week, uh, in passing, the importance of this concept of a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer in this translation. This uh, concept is not one we're familiar with in our own culture, but was very much a key concept for the Israelites, uh, who had in their law the idea of Leverite marriage, uh, marriage of widowed women by their brothers-in-law or other male relatives. There's no direct brother-in-law surviving for Ruth. Uh, Both of the sons of Naomi died in chapter 1, back in Moab. But there are other single male relatives elsewhere in the family, including Boaz, more distant cousins. And perhaps because they are a bit more distant, 
it's not immediately obvious that they need to execute the plan of Leverite marriage. They need a bit of a, a prompt, and hence Naomi's plan as she sets out in the end of verse 2. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now there's enough ambiguity in those quite detailed instructions from Naomi to her daughter that we could read it in both a positive but also a negative way. There are different spins on Naomi's instructions. It's not quite as straightforward as simply wait until the 29th of February, that traditional date for women proposing to men, and pop the question. So that the positive take, uh, putting the best spin possible on these directions, is Naomi wants to make Ruth as presentable as possible, uh, dress her up in her, her Sunday best, uh, send her out with a key proposal, marriage proposal, to this kinsman redeemer in the family, and wait for the optimum moment to give that proposal, when he'll be most open to it and most suggestible. All fairly above board. However, the slightly more negative potential take on all of this is that she hasn't just dressed her daughter-in-law up to be presentable, but her perhaps also unduly alluring, having both washed her and anointed her with perfume. Moreover, there's no actual mention in the instructions of giving the proposal. It's left ambiguous. The actual proposal, when it comes later in the story, is actually Ruth's initiative, not Naomi's. Naomi simply said to her, essentially, be pliable in verse 4. He will tell you what to do. You know, do whatever he says you should do, not suggest marriage to him. And then finally, it's not really, actually, an optimal moment at all for popping the question to Barras. Uh, People don't tend to make decisions after a very large meal at the end of harvest, just before they go to sleep, when they've already laid down to go to sleep. Uh, That's not a normal time to make big life decisions now, and it certainly wasn't then either. It's easily construed that actually this sounds a lot more like Naomi was facilitating and encouraging a slightly sordid encounter perhaps an encounter with the intent that Boaz would then be guilt-tripped into making an honest woman of Ruth after the encounter. Well, who knows how Ruth herself felt about that. Perhaps she was naive enough not to realise exactly what was potentially on Naomi's mind when she gave her these directions. But more likely even if she did twig a little bit of what was going on, maybe she just felt obliged to go along with it, caught up in the circumstances, a sense of duty to her mother-in-law, a sense of desperation at the circumstances. Yes, she has encountered kindness from one man, but she's still in a foreign country, and she's still facing winter with just her and her mother-in-law under the roof. And all that we have recorded is verse 5, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered, with goodness knows what else going on in her mind at the same time. Naomi had told her what to do, as verse 6 says. Her mother-in-law had told her what to do, and she was following the commands of the mother-in-law. 
How much discretion we had, she had about this, we don't know. But the plan was laid. And so, verse 7, she goes ahead. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So he sleeps, uh, he, drink, he eats, he drinks, and he sleeps. And Ruth lies down next to him. And then what happens? Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And nothing happens. If Naomi had imagined that some sort of action would happen at this stage, it didn't materialize. And then a stirring at midnight, verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. Maybe he had a bad dream. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet, Well, Boaz was probably sleeping at the end of his grain pile at the end of harvest, expecting maybe to fend off the odd rat who is trying to pick up some of his produce. But this was a very big rat to find at the end of his feet. Uh, He wasn't expecting to find a a woman there. And obviously it's the middle of the night, it's pitch dark, there's no electric lighting there. He has no idea who it is. So he says, verse 9, who are you? It was uh, certainly an unexpected encounter. And Ruth simply says... I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. We get a little glimpse here of Boaz's character in his question and his reaction to the the surprise of finding a woman there. Those little of-the-moment reactions do sometimes serve to clarify uh, people's character for us and what they're really like. It turns out he wasn't drunk enough not to care what sort of woman it was at the end of his feet, nor is he a seedy enough character to not care which woman was at the end of his feet uh, or to make a move on her. By contrast, he was startled by the presence he found there and by the slightly inappropriate proximity of the woman. In other words, this is a man with a moral compass, even in that moment, in the middle of the night, when he finds a woman there. And Ruth, to her credit, is rather clearer than her mother-in-law about what she should be doing and has that very direct proposition, proposal to make in verse 9 that we just read. And in that proposal, we see those two elements that I referred to at the start, both humility and also boldness. Humility, I am your servant, Ruth. She realises that she is there uh, as his guest. She's the one who's been gleaning his his fields at his invitation, not as of right, but as um, his servant. But also boldness, spread the corner of your garment over me. Cover me. A more poetic way of putting that would be, uh, cover me, spread your wings over me and other Bible translations put it that way. It's less common even today in our very egalitarian age for women to propose to men. I've referred to the sort of tradition we have of every leap year, 29th of February, there's a chance for ladies traditionally to do that, although they can obviously do it any day they want to these days. Um, But yet even today, it's much more common for men to propose to women. And certainly that was the case uh, in Ruth's day, In fact, in her day, it was much more common for the menfolk of the family to simply decide women's fate without much reference to what they wanted at all. So it is a very bold 
request and proposal she's making here to Boaz. But it's a request and a proposal that's grounded in reality. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. She knows exactly who she is, your servant, and who he is, a guardian redeemer. There's a a little echo here of the quality of Ruth's faith that we've already seen in chapters 1 and 2. The step of faith she had to leave Moab behind and go to the unknown land of Israel with her mother-in-law. Likewise, the small step of faith she showed in chapter 2, going out gleaning in the foreign fields among people she didn't know, alone, without her mother-in-law, to provide for them both. And now another little step of faith, going to Boaz in the dark of night and requesting marriage from him. And just as in those previous steps uh, being rewarded, so likewise this step is rewarded. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. What a relief to Ruth when she would have heard those words. I'm sure lots of us have been in situations where we've experienced anxiety about an answer to a big question that's on our minds, on our hearts, that we've been thinking a lot about. Maybe the answer to a university application or to a job application or the answer to the results of a a medical examination or a request for annual leave or a particular shift pattern over Christmas. What will they say? What will we do if uh, the bad result or the, the, the negative answer comes back? The mind spins about it. And this certainly is the the culmination, the crescendo in this moment of those anxieties for Ruth. But then that wonderful reply, don't worry, do not fear, he says in verse 11, I will do all that you ask. And the rest of the chapter really is simply the practical arrangements that flow out of that wonderful positive reply from Boaz. Don't go home immediately in the middle of the night. Stay here for a bit. Uh, In the morning, I'm going to discuss this with your closer relatives. Uh, Work out whether he wants to redeem you or not. If he doesn't, then I'll go ahead and redeem you. Uh, But when it is morning, do go quickly. So let's not cause a scandal by people seeing you running away uh, in the morning. And uh, do take some provisions with you uh, for yourself and for your mother-in-law. And then the debrief back home with Naomi. And it's interesting that even at that stage, Naomi's question to Ruth is still quite ambiguous. How did it go, my daughter, she says in verse 16. Not what did he say, as if Naomi was expecting the response to a proposal of marriage, but how did it go? Much more open-ended, much more suggestive of the expectation of there having been some sort of action. How did it go? Uh, So further indication of what Naomi was planning all along, as by contrast what Ruth actually did. So what's the lesson of the story uh, to us? Well, I'm sure it's not about trying to snare a rich and powerful man by sneaking into their bedrooms in the middle of night and expecting something to happen. That's definitely not something to try and pursue or for, you know, to try and pursue via female relatives. 
for that matter. Uh, if that was what Naomi was trying, then let me note that we shouldn't be thinking that the Bible, by including uh, that intent, potentially endorses that sort of behavior. It's not endorsing such underhand methods or such immoral designs. A lot of the Bible is simply a record of what did happen rather than a blank check to go and do likewise, to copy the behaviors that we see in those fallen human beings who we see um, doing things in history. By contrast, let's look at the behavior of Ruth in the situation. And I think that is instructive for us. She was fairly powerless in the situation. She was under the authority of her mother-in-law, as we've seen, taking her instructions and directions as to what to do, and also at the mercy of Boaz and the other Israelites who she found herself among in this foreign country. But obviously she acts with great integrity. Um, Although she does go along with Naomi's plan, she does actually behave in the best possible way in the circumstances she's been given. As we've seen, it's a questionable scenario that she's been put into, a very circumspect situation. But Ruth approached her redeemer in the moment humbly and boldly. She knew exactly who he was, a redeemer, and who she was, his servant. And do you notice the parallel between what Ruth said about Boaz and Boaz's blessing in the previous chapter on Ruth? So in the previous chapter, Boaz had said to her, a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose garment you have come for refuge or under whose wing you have come for refuge. And then in this chapter, the request she makes is spread your garment, spread your wing over me since you are a guardian redeemer. So Ruth is, in other words, requesting that the generic blessing that Boaz prayed over her be realized specifically by him. But she's also, profoundly for us, identifying the protection and the redemption of Boaz with that of God himself. Like Ruth, we may well find ourselves in all sorts of slightly compromising situations, whether set up by ourselves or by others, entangled in all sorts of schemes. But we can always, like Ruth, turn humbly and boldly to a Redeemer, to the Lord Jesus. And we can pray that tax collector's prayer to him, God be gracious to me, a sinner. Shall we pray that now? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this story of Ruth, for the way it fits into your salvation plan, and also the instruction it gives us in approaching you, our Redeemer. May we do so, like Ruth, with boldness and humility. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.